Welcome to the Hope Unlimited Church podcast. We are so honored to connect with you, and we pray that you will be encouraged and inspired by this week's message. John chapter 5, verse number 1. And then after this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is at Jerusalem by the sheep market a pool, which is called in the Hebrew tongue Bethesda, having five porches. In these, watch verse 3, in these lay a great multitude of impotent folk, of blind, halt, withered, waiting for the moving of the water. In these lay a great multitude of impotent folk, blind, halt, withered, waiting. Everybody say, waiting. No, say it like you're Pentecostal. Waiting. Waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain season into the pool and troubled the water. Whosoever then first, after the troubling of the water, stepped in, was made whole of whatever disease he had. And a certain man which was there, which had an infirmity, thirty and eight years. When Jesus saw him lie and knew that he had been now a long time in that case, he said to him, Will you be made whole? Another translation says, Do you want to be made well? Do you want to be made well? Will you be made whole? The impotent man answered him and said, Sir, I have no man when the water is troubled to put me into the pool. But while I am coming, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, Arise, take up your bed and walk. And immediately the man was made whole, took up his bed and walked. And on the same day was the Sabbath. Verse 3 again. In these lay a great multitude of impotent folk, blind, halt, withered, waiting for the moving of the water. Verse 6. When Jesus saw him laying there, he knew he had been now a long time in that case. Jesus said, do you want to be made well? Will you be made whole? The impotent man said, sir, I don't have anybody to put me in the water. Jesus said, rise, take up your bed and walk. Immediately the man was made whole. Amen. Amen. I grew up, I grew up, first of all, I grew up Baptist, got into the Pentecostal church at a very young age. And when I say Pentecostal, I mean, I mean Pentecostal. I don't mean charismatic. I mean Pentecostal. I mean fall out, roll around, bobby pins, no makeup, Pentecostal. Probably handle some snakes in their lifetime, Pentecostal. You know why they called them holy rollers? Is because they used to lay on the floor and roll around. We called them holy rollers. I'm talking about preachers walking across the back of the pews, Pentecostal. Does anybody know what I'm talking about when I say Pentecostal? I'm not talking about this new fangdangled stuff. You like that term from Alabama, fangdangled? I'm not talking about this spirit-filled church. I'm talking about Pentecostal church. Pentecostal, right? I'm talking about the music was horrible. Nobody was playing in the same key. We knew three songs. One of them was Amazing Grace. We sang it, and we just got after it. Pentecostal, the kind of service that you gauged whether or not it was good based upon whether or not you had to endure the preaching. That if the preacher had to got to preach, it was eh. But if it was really good, he didn't get to preach. And if you missed church, you'd say, how was service? It was awesome. He didn't even get to preach. Glory to God. I'm talking about Pentecostal. Does anybody know what I'm talking about when I say 
Pentecostal. We, I grew up in the Pentecostal, and I've learned in the Pentecostals there are certain there are certain buttons you can hit to get at and elicit a right response. There are certain things you can say that gets exactly the the predicted response that you would expect that they would get. You could say things when I was growing up in church. You would say something like, "Are you rapture ready?" And everybody start jumping up and down because they thought the rapture was going to, they're just trying to speed up the rapture. That's what we did. We would say things like, tell them, look at your neighbor and tell them, you're going to be a billionaire before you get out of the parking lot tonight. Lying to everybody. Like everybody in the church is going to get a text message and a billion dollars is going to be deposited in their account before they drive off. But that's what we did. You tell them, get ready, get ready, get ready, get ready. It ain't over, it ain't over. Name it, claim it, walk it, talk it, blab it, stab it, grab it, confess it, possess it. We were Pentecostal. Right? Your harvest has come. Harvest, 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 harvest. And that would get a shout. That would get the tambourine going. You ain't even had church right unless you've had a tambourine in it. This ain't music what we call in church. Now, a tambourine is when somebody's beating it so hard on their belly that there's tambourine tines flying all over the place. Do y'all know what I'm talking about? I have seen church mothers dance themselves out of their slip. Y'all don't even know what a slip is. Huh? And don't Google it. I have seen it. I have seen it. They had danced their hair, their hair down to their ankles. It looked like a wedding dress. It's so long, like a, they're trained to their rope. Fill the temple because we were Pentecostal. Couldn't have a TV, couldn't go to football, couldn't enjoy life, couldn't have fun, couldn't laugh, couldn't smile, but we were Pentecostal, full of the Holy Ghost. And we had those buttons. Another one of those buttons that we always like to say was breakthrough. Y'all talk back to me. Y'all help me preach this this morning. Was breakthrough. And every time you said breakthrough, people just start falling out. Boom. boom. Breakthrough, just boom, fall out. Three people fall out. Breakthrough, 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 breakthrough. And we always talked about breakthrough as though we were waiting on God to do something for us. Whenever we communicated breakthrough, whenever we would look at somebody and say, your breakthrough is coming, what we were communicating was God is getting ready to send you the thing that you've been praying for. That is not what breakthrough is at all. Breakthrough is not you waiting on God to send you something. Breakthrough is I am bringing my life into alignment with what God's already predetermined to do. Breakthrough does not happen on the other side of a preacher preaching a message. Breakthrough happens on the other side of you getting your life into total obedience to God. Brandon, turn me up a little bit if you would. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Your Bible says that God is no respecter of persons, but he is a respecter of principles. And when you see somebody operating in something that you are not operating in, you can't get jealous and envious because that they are operating in a principle that we've not decided to obey and submit to yet. God is not... He's not a respecter of persons. He's a respecter of principles. So when I say breakthrough is coming, I'm not communicating that finally you have to beg God into doing something for you. That's what most people's prayer life looks like is begging God to do something for you. One of the greatest verses in the entire Bible about your prayer life is this. I am the Lord. I change not. When you pray, you're not talking God into doing anything that God's not already predetermined to do. Prayer is getting your spirit into alignment with everything God's already decided to do for you. That's what a lot that's why fasting don't work for most people because it's not fasting to get the, the body under submission to the spirit. It's not fasting to get your spirit in alignment with God. It's fasting because it's a hunger strike to beg God to do something. And I'm going to starve myself to death till you come through. And when he does, we call it breakthrough. You with me? 
Y'all got to help me preach this, man. Breakthrough. Breakthrough means I am finally making the necessary adjustments in my own life. I'm finally bringing natural things in my life into order so God can send what he's already predetermined to send. Because if he sends his blessing into the middle of this chaos that I call my life, if he sends you financial blessing in the middle of your untithing self, I'll I'll, I'll be like David. I'll encourage myself. Preach, brother, that's good. If God sent you a spouse in the middle of still living in mama's basement, you want a breakthrough, you got to make some change. You want some changes, you've got to make some changes, right? So this is where we have this man in the text. He is sitting by a pool called Bethesda for 38 years. Your Bible says surrounded by the lame, the halt, the withered, the, dis- the sick, and the dysfunctional. Could you imagine how depressing it would be for 38 years to be surrounded by nothing but dysfunction? You cannot move forward as long as your environment is surrounded by dysfunction. You cannot move forward as long as your environment is surrounded by toxic relationships. This is a good sermon to preach before you go home for Thanksgiving and for Christmas. You cannot move forward as long as your environment is surrounded by toxic family systems. Don't be, you better ease up, preacher. Let me, let me say this to you. I, I said this in the first service. Here, here, uh, let, me get, let, me get a, let me get a little a little pastoral counseling on you. Can I do that? No person in the world is strong enough as an individual to override a dysfunctional system. No matter how strong you are, no matter how independent you are, no matter, yes, queen, no matter all that, <laughs> nobody, I got a 12-year-old daughter, I know, oh, nobody is strong enough to override a system. A system will beat you every time. Okay? So you have this man living trapped in a dysfunctional system for 38 years. Impossible for him to be made well because of the system that he's trapped in. If you really want God to do something in your life, you have to take inventory of the kind of things you're surrounding yourself with, the dysfunction. I guarantee you, if I sat down with you, I could take 15 minutes, and you, before you even knew it, you would, start to, you would start to come out with all of the dysfunction that's surrounding you, that's holding you back. This man, for 38 years, is surrounded by nothing but dysfunction, and it is impossible to be functional in a dysfunctional system all by yourself because the system will override you every single time. That's why, that's why you, get, you see families, especially Christian families. Christian families can be the most beautiful thing in the world. And they can be the craziest bunch of people you've ever seen in your life. Right? Because they get enmeshed with, with each other. 
they get enmeshed. They have no boundaries. They have no. They have no. They have no. Uh, they have no principles by which they function. So they just get enmeshed and enwrapped in each other. And everybody loses their identity in the other person. And everybody thinks the same thing. And everybody believes the same thing. And everybody talks the same way and operates the same way. Not because it's anybody's one conviction. It's because the power of the system has told you what to believe and how to act. If you're not careful, families will put you in boxes. I ain't getting nobody to help me this morning. 9.30 service was helping me. I need you to help me. Families will put you in boxes. You will be the smart math student, and you'll be, you'll be the business person, and you will be, God bless you, you're just like me, and there's nothing else you can do, and you're just cursed with just being like me, and, God, and then you're this. And then anytime you try to veer outside of the box, the system will punish you. Anytime you don't live up to the expectation that the family system has established for you, you get punished by emotional blackmail. You ever seen those you ever seen those families where if I don't obey exactly the if I don't fit the label in the box you have for me and I feel like God's calling me to do something else everybody cuts me off and they cut me off because they're trying to communicate to me as long as you behave and obey the system you are loved but as soon as you disobey the system you are cut off. It is a toxic system that's holding you back. I talked to a young man not too long ago. He was 37 years old. Precious young man. Precious young man. Loved God. Awesome. Precious young man. Just loved Jesus and had his life in front of him. And we were talking. He was, he was 37. He had never been married. And he was starting to get a little hopeless because he's 37. He's never been married. And he was saying, I, uh, I need some guidance. And I was like, you need to get married. Like, just get married. I, I don't care if you like her. Marry her. <laughs> you never met her? That's fine. That's fine. Do a background check. If it comes up clean, buy the ring. It's a joke, people. Calm down. You need, you need to get married. And we were talking through a situation. I was asking, I was like, you know, there was a girl that you dated for three years who was just an awesome, godly woman of God. Why, 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 didn't, why, didn't, you, why didn't you seal the deal? Why didn't you close the deal? Right? What, what? How did you fumble that ball? She loved you. She was crazy about you. Why? I don't know. But she was. I said, what happened? He said, well, my sisters didn't like her. I said, <laughs> I said what? run that by me one more time. <laughs> Your sisters didn't like her. They didn't like her Instagram, and they didn't like her fashion sense, and they just didn't think she would be good for me. So in order to honor them, because we believe that in our family, we believe in honor. You know, it's interesting how we take our Christianity and we manipulate it and distort it to manipulate other people. That's why Christian families can be some of the most, the, the most chronic offenders in this regard. We will throw the God card on the table when we want our will to be done. doesn't matter what his will is because we're completely convinced that what I want, what he wants is the same thing. So if we want you to do something, we'll say, well, I feel in my spirit that this is what you're supposed to do and you ain't going to believe. And if you really want to get manipulative, they come up to you and say something like this. God woke me up with a dream. And if you take her out on a date, you're going to die and burn in hell for the rest of your life. I'm just delivering what the Lord told me. Don't shoot the messenger. Y'all are quiet because you're guilty. Ain't that right? Huh? You ever seen, you've seen people like that. We throw the God card on the table and everything gets blurry. I have seen parents tell their 40-year-old kids, the Bible says obey your parents. 
No, it doesn't. It says children obey your parents. Y'all are getting mad, ain't you? Y'all, y'all gonna walk into Christmas with an attitude. Everybody shut up, I'm in charge. Shut your mouth, shut your mouth. I'm setting a boundary right now, you bunch of dysfunctional heathens. That's not what I'm saying you need to do. That's not what, that's not what I'm advocating. Dysfunctional family system. You mean you put your whole life on hold, young 37-year-old man? You put your whole life on hold to appease the system? You put your whole life on hold because you didn't want to face the wrath of a system? And the wrath of making some people angry because you decided to make a grown-up decision is pales in comparison to the wrath you're going to feel from life when you look in the mirror at 60 years old and it clicks that I've been living my life for somebody else. And they do it in the name of God. I've seen, I have seen wives be in abu- physically abusive relationships and I will look at her and say, honey, you need to run. You're going to be killed. And she'll say some Christianese to me. Well, the Jesus said, turn the other cheek. Out of cheeks. <laughs> Hashtag no more cheeks. <laughs> right? Well the, well, the Bible said. The, well, the Bible says that, that I, I know. I know my teenage son is smoking marijuana in the basement. But the Bible says that I am to love him and sacrifice for him. Like, that's not what the Bible's talking about. It is a dysfunctional system of enmeshment where everybody loses themselves and everybody and everything else and you don't know who's who and you don't know what's what and you don't know how to separate you from your mom or your dad or you from your kids. There is no individuality or independence. It's just an enmeshed system and we call it love and we call it the Christian family when in reality it is manipulation and control. It is so quiet in here. I'm trying to help you. I'm trying to help you because if you live for this system, it will hold you back the rest of your life. If you spend 38 years at the pool surrounded by dysfunction, it'll hold you back for the rest of your life. I used to, I used to work in, uh, some, I've told you this, I used to work in some drug rehabilitation facilities. Precious people going through some of the most devastating circumstances in their life. Absolutely devastating. And anytime we would counsel an addict, we would always, it was part of the program that we can't just talk to you, we've also got to talk to your family. Because we can't fix you if we don't fix everybody. Because in every addicted home, there's codependence. Right? And so the addict goes and binges on his substance that alters his mood, and then what does the family do? They come, and they binge on talking about what he just binged on, and it alters their mood, so his behavior becomes the family's mood-altering substance. Because we're enmeshed. And they would always tell me, they would say say things like this. I would say, you've got to let him absorb 
Because this doesn't happen in, in, in enmeshed situations. This doesn't happen in toxic systems. People can sow the negative behavior. And in the name of love and Christianity, everybody steps in to absorb the consequences. And it's not Bible. They sow it, and then we have to reap it. And we call it love. When, when they sow it and we reap it, we are shielding them from the very thing that God wants to use to transform them. And in enmeshed systems, they sow it, we reap it. So why would you ever change if you're them? It's working perfectly for you. I can sell mama's car, steal mama's money, live in mama's house, eat mama's food, and nobody's going to say anything because they think the Bible tells them that this is Christianity and love and grace and mercy. I remember talking to one of these families. They said, you mean to tell me that if your 32-year-old daughter was on meth like my 32-year-old daughter living in your basement, that you would kick her out? I said, yes. Yes, that's what that means. Y'all are so quiet. Am I, the 930 service was feeling it. Y'all are mad. Because as long as there's toxicity, we won't get well Neither will they, right? Because in enmeshed systems, we absorb the consequences. In enmeshed systems, you'll also see this. The parent and the child swap roles. And so now the parent is looking to the child for emotional fulfillment instead of the child being the child and the parent being the parent. Oh, I could go down this road a long way. You will actually see you will actually see this happen when a husband and wife don't have a healthy marriage. They'll start to lean on their kids for emotional fulfillment because they don't want to deal with the stuff going on between them and Freddie, so they just do it with them and Sally because that fulfills them emotionally because the pain between mom and dad is too great that we reach for other places. And if you don't deal with this right, you're putting on them a burden they were never called to bear and can't fulfill anyway. Is this getting too psychological? Am I clear? Am I saying this plainly? So in enmeshed systems, what do you do when you're in an enmeshed system? What do you do when you're in a toxic environment? It doesn't have to be family. It could be friends. If, if you've never reached a point in your life where God's required you to cut off certain friends, you just had not been serving God long enough. Because it, it's coming your way. Just give it 10 minutes and it'll be there. Right? When you're surrounded by toxicity, because relationships can be the thing that God uses to propel you into your purpose. And relationships can be the thing that holds you back for the rest of your life. Hearing what I'm saying? When God, I believe this with all of my heart. When God gets ready to bless you, he sends a person into your life. When the enemy gets ready to curse you, he sends a person into your life. And you have to learn to distinguish between the two. So when you're in these enmeshed toxic systems, what's the answer? The answer is you have to learn to, I'm giving, I'm just some gentle pastoral counseling. 
I use the word gentle very loosely. <laughs> you have to learn to set boundaries. We think boundaries is us being selfish, us being self-centered. A boundary is nothing more than an invisible line that communicates where you end and where I begin. You ever had somebody, there, there's certain people I think their personalities lean toward this. You ever had somebody just come and just, boom, just violate one of your boundaries? Like just come up and tell you what they think about your kids and you don't even know them. You're just like, oh, if I was you, I'd be just like, whoa. If I was you, I'd shut up. That's what I'd do if I was you. You ever had somebody do that? Just come up and they just speak into something they have no business speaking into? And they violate your boundaries? How offensive that is when they just come up and just, boom, this is what you need to fix. And this thing is like, well, if I would have asked. But now, even though I know you're right, now we in a fight. <laughs> a boundary line is where they end and you begin. People that are manipulative call boundaries selfishness. People that are manipulative call boundaries hurtful. That hurt me. There's a difference between, I ain't going to go down this road. There's a difference between hurting someone and harming someone. I don't want to harm you, but if it hurts you, because remember this, control always dies kicking and screaming. Control never dies silently. And the moment you set a boundary with a manipulator, they lose it. Well, I thought after everything I'd done for you, I gave birth to you, and I fed you as a teenager. And, I, and, I, and you're like, no, this ain't got nothing to do with back then. Right? I'm 40 now, and I'm going to make my own decisions. How could you? Who talks to their mama that way? Right? I remember I had a young family I was talking to, a young married couple, they're newlyweds, and it's actually interesting. One of the top four causes of divorce in marriages is money, religion, children. Number four, in-laws. Toxic family systems. You know how many marriages I have watched dissolve before my eyes because people could not be functional and normal and this person was trying to control this and that person was trying to control that and this person was being manipulated and that person was being deceptive and it was a power grab here and there and this and that and all over and finally the, the married couple just gives up and they said, let's just dissolve this entire covenant that we made rather than fear the wrath of this system for the rest of our life. I have seen it countless times. Seen it countless times. I talked to this young couple. They were newly married. They'd been married about six months, and they were having trouble with the family system. And he said, I always knew this was a weird thing when I was dating my, my, my wife because the, the mother-in-law mother would always override me and tell me what I needed to do and tell me how I needed to spend my money. And she came in, and she decorated our house for us. It wasn't even the stuff what she wanted to do, and she was overwhelming this and overriding that. And now we're married, and I remember he had a little card in his hand. He said, I, she, he brought it to me, and he said, I remember the day she gave me this. It freaked me out because she wrote in it, I am so glad you're my son. You fit my family so well. This is what she meant. I'm so glad you're in the family because I know I can run over you for the next 40 years. 
And I said, you got one option, brother. You've got to stand up. And not, and, and listen, in a Christ-like, God-honoring, righteous, gentle, loving way, you have to set some boundaries and say, this is where your power ends, and this is where our power begins. That's why a man has to leave his mother and father, cleave to his wife. They become one flesh. You are your thing, and now we are our thing. You hearing what I'm saying? But I'm their father, and I'm their mother. That's great, and nobody's going to take that away from you. But they are adults, and they have to grow up and become who God's called them to become without you pampering them the entire way. Your job as a parent is to make sure they are prepared to live life without you. And we create systems that keep them dependent on us forever. We actually, we actually want God to parent. We, we, want to parent our, we want to parent our kids in ways that God doesn't even parent us. God is not trying to keep us eternally immature and free from responsibility. God is trying to grow us up and empower us to do for us what we've always had to run to him to do. And that's what your job is to do as a family and as a system. I don't even know why I'm on this. It ain't got nothing to do with what I was wanting to talk about. You have to raise up people and train people to be stand, to stand firm on their own. And that's when you've done your job as a parent. Listen, if your marriage is right... You and hubby, y'all dream about the day the kids are out of the house, right? Me and Lindsay talk about it, and we're like, see, Annalise is 12. Check out times 18. (laughs) And then we're going to cruise around the world for a year to detox from Asher. (laughs) That's my son. He's two. We just moved into a brand new neighborhood. Brand new neighborhood. I looked outside yesterday. My son's in the backyard without a thread of clothes on. (laughs) I run out there. There's my neighbors. Hey. Hey. Aren't you the pastor? You sort Yeah, something like that. Kind of. Yeah. I, I, I dabble. I dabble. I've read the Bible a time or two, so I don't know. Because this man is surrounded by dysfunction, and your Bible says he's waiting. Waiting for something to change. And if you're ever going to be well, you got to quit waiting. You got to quit waiting on them to change. You got to quit waiting on it. You got to quit waiting on the apology. I wish you could hear that. You got to quit waiting on the Christmas card. You got to quit waiting on the I'm sorry. You got to quit waiting on the phone call because if you want to be made well, you've got to move forward. Waiting for the moving of the water. And then Jesus walks up to them and he asks them a question. He says, do you want to be made well. I know you've been sitting here for 38 years and the answer should be self-evident. But once you've been in for something so long, it can start to feel so comfortable and so right. And if you want me to make you whole, everything in your life's going to change. That means, number one, if you want to be whole, nobody's going to check on you when you're strong. 
Nobody's going to ask how you're doing when you're strong. I want to know, do you want to be made well? Do you want wholeness or do you want attention? Because when you're broken all the time and hurting all the time, everybody rushes to your aid to make sure you're okay. But if I touch you, you're going to have to be okay with the fact that it's just me and you walking this thing out and everybody's not going to rally around you to prop you up. Do you really want to be made well? Because if I make you whole, now you're going to be responsible for some things. We used to understand why you hadn't moved forward in life. We used to understand why you didn't have a job, why you didn't have a career, why you didn't have a family on your own. But if I make you whole, now we're going to hold you accountable to some things. You want to be made whole? Do you want to be made whole? He says, sir, I have no man to put me in the water. Jesus looks at him and says, rise, take up your bed, walk. The first thing that has to happen down in your spirit for you to be well, I don't mean getting by. I don't mean you're going to work, you're doing this, and you come to church, and you're raising your kids, and you're, running around, and you're cheering for Alabama. I mean, if you want to be whole, the first thing that has to happen down on the inside of you is you have to find a place within yourself that says, if I have to leave everything I've known for 38 years, if that's what it takes, there are some things. It doesn't mean I don't love you. It doesn't mean I don't honor you. It doesn't mean that we're not family. It doesn't mean that I won't pray for you. It doesn't mean we can't have coffee, but I cannot live in this anymore. I'm not going to get caught up in the family drama. I'm not going to get caught up in all the stuff. Some of us, our families are like tornadoes where it's nothing but a swirl of activity and we're standing on the outside and they're inviting us to jump in and we've got to say, no, I want to be whole and I'm not getting in the inside of that. Do you want to be made whole? Because you've got to be willing to walk away from what you have known your entire life. You've got to be able to put up with people's anger because you set a boundary. You got to be able to put up with people cutting you off because they're not going to be a part of our dysfunctional game anymore. Do you want to be well? Because you can sit around for 38 more years and everybody you know and love is there with you. That's the thing about dysfunction. You're certainly not alone. But sometimes, to journey on the path that God has for you, A.W. Tozer said it this way, sometimes the saint must walk alone. Oh, glory to God. Sometimes if I'm going to move into the place that God has for me, I've got to leave everything I've known. Not necessarily physically, but some of you need to detach emotionally. Right? Some, of us, some of us, we like, we like being codependent, right? We like being codependent because when we're codependent, we get to put off maturing. We get to put off growth. We get to put off accountability. And the family system loves it because we're getting what we want, which is control. 
and you're getting what you want, which is no growth or accountability. So we're going to lay here by the pool, looking at God doing amazing things and everybody else, licking each other's wounds, waiting for something to change. And my question is, do you want to be made well? Stand up on your feet. Hallelujah. Lift those hands to the Lord. Father, we thank you this morning. We bless you. I had, a, I had a dear man of God tell me one time. I want you to hear this, and I want you to hear this well. I think I've said this before at our church. I'm sure I have. One of the most liberating things in the world you can do, one of the most difficult things in the world you can do, one of the most liberating things in the world you can do is to get free from other people's opinions especially the people closest to you, right? Man of God told me one time, other people's heads are a bad place to keep your happiness. Other people's heads are a bad place to keep your happiness. You get one shot at life. Don't let anybody else write it for you. Now, if you're 12 in here, I ain't talking to you. Listen to mom and dad. <laughs> but if you're 32 and still can't make a grown-up decision, if you're, if, you're, if you're an adult and still having to ask permission, feeling the need to ask permission, I have seen 35-year-old women be told by their 55-year-old mothers how to cut their hair. Because I'm your mother and I want what's best for you. You're their mother and you want what's best for you. Because they're in the box. And you don't want them to veer outside the box. And the box is so tight it goes down to hair pigmentation. Am I telling the truth this morning? Surrounded by dysfunction. You know how many times I have talked to young married couples and I have seen it in the eyes of a young bride looking at her husband, wanting him to man up and lead and say, I need you to step up. I need you to set some boundaries and I need you to form our family and lead our family the proper way. And he's just beat up because he's terrified of incurring the wrath of the system. You got to stand up sometimes. And a godly, loving, kind, gentle, gentlemanly way that honors God, you got to stand up. Because if I stay in this, I'm not going to be whole. If I stay in this, I've seen family systems where people get married and mom and dad are still number one, not husband and wife. I told the first service, you get married, you get married. You when you get married, you get married. They're it, they're number one. And if mom and dad told you that's not true, they're lying, they're wrong. Something breaks at the house, don't call dad. Tell your husband, you didn't marry Bob Vila, you married Tim the toolman Taylor, but it's fine. <laughs> Tell your husband, let your husband call your dad and have dad come fix it. But go. <laughs> Do you want to be whole? You want to be whole? 
I remember this. I've been doing this a long time. I have all these stories. I remember talking to this young couple, husband and wife. Got married, had children. The family system they came from was very dysfunctional. Mother was very controlling. The father was just very intimidating and, and controlling. Men, when they control, tend to intimidate. Women, when they control, tend to manipulate. Everybody's manipulating in their own way. Dad yells. Mom cries. Boats after the same thing. Control. Their marriage ended, dissolved. Husband couldn't do it anymore. Divorced his wife, left. She comes to me asking for answers, or asking, asking questions, searching for answers. So we walk with her. Starts dating another guy. They get married. Two weeks into their marriage, guess who's in my office? Same situation. He's getting ready to leave. I look at the young lady and say, you're 25, about to burn through your second marriage because you can't say no to a system. And it's keeping you from being well. It's keeping you from being whole. At some point, you've got to draw the line. Say, this is where you end. This is where we begin. And yet, you might not get to spend the next three Christmases together because they're so mad at you. But wouldn't it be worth it if you're whole? Wouldn't it be worth it if you didn't feel like you were out of your mind and everybody was crafting their own plan for you and enforcing it on you? You hearing me, adults? You hearing me? Father, thank you today. We bless you. We honor you. We worship you. We say with all of our heart, we want to be made whole. We want to be well. We want to be well. We say goodbye to the dysfunction that we're so accustomed to and secure in and comfortable with. We say goodbye. Because you have a life for us. You have a purpose for us. You have a destiny for us. We want to be whole. If you believe it, give Jesus one more shout. Hallelujah. Thank you for listening to this week's message. If you enjoyed this podcast and would like to give, please visit hopeunlimited.church slash give. To stay connected, follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Hope Unlimited Church.